This is the Liberty and Law Podcast, where practicing lawyer and legal scholar Jeff Teichert offers unique insight into the relationship between law and liberty in history, politics, and American life. If you have a passion for liberty, you are in the right place. Hello, friends of liberty, and welcome to another edition of the Liberty and Law Podcast. And today we're going to talk about how divorce uh, impacts the freedom of the people involved. Uh, and when I talk about this subject in this episode, I don't want anyone to, to take me the wrong way. I'm not going to be suggesting whether particular policies are constitutional or not. It, it, I'm not going to, strictly speaking, give a legal opinion. Uh, what I'm going to do is talk about the policy issues <clears throat> related to this subject and how they pertain to uh, individual freedom. So having said that, I want to, to dive in first by saying that, you know, in virtually every state now, we have already no-fault divorce. And by and large, the judges don't want to hear it. <clears throat> Pretty much gone are the days when a, an individual came in with box loads of evidence about their spouse's extramarital dalliances and things like that. And the courts don't want to hear it anymore. And while adultery and, uh, and all the other traditional um, uh, fault-based divorce criteria are still... Uh, in the law in most states, the courts more or less expect you to cite irreconcilable differences and to keep uh, the rest of it to yourself. Now, how no-fault divorce has affected things, I think it's created a culture where divorce is more common and more accepted and you can argue that that is a good thing because it allows people to get out of abusive marriages uh, without the social stigma that it used to have. You can argue that it's a bad thing because, you know, kids do better. I mean, all the statistics indicate that they do better in a stable two-parent home. But aside from the normative elements of this, I do believe no-fault divorce is here to stay. I don't think it's going to be changed. I don't think there's any appetite in the legislatures or in the courts to go back and revisit that issue and say, no, now we want to have people dragging boxes and boxes of evidence and photographs and things like that to show you know, their spouse's sleazy conduct. The, the thing that, uh, that we have to bear in mind then is if we're going to allow people to divorce for irreconcilable differences, and like I said, I believe that's here to stay, uh, then what impact does divorce have on individual freedom going forward? Well, some of the 
implications are obvious. If I, uh, for example, am a, a full-time working husband and my wife uh, doesn't work uh, outside the home, but, but is a full-time homemaker, and, and incidentally, my wife does work um, in the economy, but if she didn't, and and uh, she decided she could divorce, wanted to divorce me, and she couldn't prove fault. Either she could be denied the divorce under the old system, or uh, um, you know she she would be be. Uh, stuck in a marriage she didn't want. Now, under the current system, what happens? Well, she could divorce me without cause. She could cite irreconcilable differences. And because she doesn't work outside the home in that hypothetical, I would be forced to pay larger amounts in child support uh, and potentially alimony than I would have had to pay, uh, you know, under the, if she was uh, working outside the home uh, for pay. So, and, and make no mistake, from that person's perspective, I'm not saying this is at all the whole story because it's certainly not. But I would look at it in, from that perspective and say, oh my gosh, she can impose upon me a divorce that I didn't want, take my kids away for most of the week, and require me to write a check every month for the privilege. And of course, I would in that situation, sometimes feel resentful. Now, uh, on the other side of the coin, a, a lot of people who have been a full-time parent uh, haven't participated in the economy, don't have a career, don't have a way of making money. And, and without child support and alimony could be trapped in marriages that are genuinely abusive and where they, um, you know, where they're stuck because of financial reasons. I believe um, either way, uh, in whichever direction it goes, you are restraining someone's liberty in some way. Are you forcing a person, man or woman, to remain in, a, in an abusive marriage for financial reasons or um, not to lose time with the children. Uh, on the other side of the coin, you know, are, you're obviously losing some freedom when you're forced to write a check every month to somebody who doesn't want to be with you anymore. And uh, when you're not free to see your kids whenever you would like to. So those are some of the obvious issues that people face with respect to their individual freedom when a marriage ends. And 
I guess the next uh, thing I want to say following on this is that as, uh, uh, as divorce processes go forward, there are sometimes things that come up that uh, require or, or almost demand that people are allowed uh, to be divorced before all of the financial and custody arrangements are finalized. And that can in include, let's suppose, you know, they've been separated for a little while, but they're still not legally divorced. One of them is in a relationship with someone. Uh, there's a pregnancy and they want to get married. Um, let's suppose there's just that situation, but there's no pregnancy. But the, that couple either wants to get married or has gotten engaged and, and has a, a compelling reason to say, look, I'm, I'm starting another family. Uh, and I need to be released from this marriage to allow me to do that. That's called a bifurcated divorce. It's where you bifurcate or separate the financial and custody issues from the, the legal uh, order declaring that you're no longer married. And... <clears throat> Different states have different policies on that. I was divorced in the state of Washington. There is no bifurcated divorce there. The theory is that if you are, uh, if you're granted a bifurcated divorce, it reduces your incentive to work out the financial and custody issues and create a parenting plan and all those things. And so we're not going to give you a divorce until you've done that. And, and so it, it is a way uh, of putting the hammer down on, on people that are dragging their feet, finishing up their divorce. That is a two-edged sword because on the one hand, it, it does in some cases motivate people to, um, to finish up. Uh, the divorce, but it is a huge, um, depending on the circumstances, it's a huge um, incentive to accept a situation that you're really unhappy with <clears throat> because you, you just want to be divorced. You want the, the uh, marriage to be ended so you can move on. And, you know, there's a lot of people, particularly in the church that I belong to, but, but in many churches who, who say, um, you know, I'm not going to date somebody who's still legally married to someone else, even if they've been separated for five years or whatever. And uh, in, in many religious cultures and homes, people, people are under that situation. So you may have one member of a couple who is saying, um, you know, I don't care if we're divorced anytime soon. I'm sleeping with someone else or I'm dating other people and, you know, I'm effectively divorced anyway. And then the other person whose conscience does not permit that uh, kind of conduct is sort of stuck and, and in a lonely place. 
without the opportunity to, to date or move forward with other relationships. I, I think there's another larger principle as well here. And if I can explain it this way, uh, you know that, that scenario, you've probably seen it if you're a parent, you probably participated in it when you were a kid, where there's two kids kind of playing in the same room, and one of them is playing with the other one's toy, and the other one doesn't notice because they're engrossed in what they're doing. But then, you know, 30 minutes after, after that kid started playing with the toy, uh, the, the kid that owns the toy notices and says, mine, give it back. Um, in a way, I think that's what our current divorce system does to people. I understand why legislatures have have designed parenting plans and child support schedules, and they want to make as much of that as automatic as possible so that there's less need to go into court and have continuous acrimony and so forth. However, I think in some ways this system... Uh, creates more conflict than it solves. In the interest of wanting to get the parents to have a parenting plan where things are, are uh, all decided in advance uh, and, you know, the, the police intervening in a situation know exactly who's supposed to have the kids at that time according to the parenting plan, well, you know, having that there is, is helpful. But, but here's the problem, that ownership situation that I described with the kid and his toy. I think when you start dividing up time with your children between two parents and you're going to sign on the dotted line and both agree to the parenting plan and, and you're, <clears throat> it feels like you're signing away all your rights or that you're you know, deciding once and for all um, what's yours and what's theirs, people have a very human tendency to get greedy. And even somebody who may not, on a day-to-day -day basis, choose to be around their kids very much, uh, but they, they always know they can't, could be before when they're married, and now it's, you know, going to be separate households, well, you know, they're inclined to go for all they can get. And <clears throat> I had a cousin who got divorced in New Mexico. And he was told by someone, divorce in New Mexico is about like getting married in Vegas. That it was fast, cheap, easy. My cousin and his former wife had no formal parenting plan because the state did not require it. They completed raising their children together with no formal parenting plan. Now, there were various times during those kids' upbringing where they predominantly stayed with dad, 
and there were other uh, times when they predominantly stayed with mom for various uh, reasons that worked out within their family. And they were able to trade back and forth, you know, pretty amiably and respectfully uh, because neither of them believed they were giving up all their rights um, when they signed those divorce papers. No one was tempted to, you know, they, I, I remember when I went to my divorce education class, the person who taught it said, now, ideally, you make this parenting plan, you throw it in a drawer, don't look at it ever again, and just parent your kids, co-parent your kids. And I, I think if that is the ideal, then that's where the system should start going. Um, now, I do understand there are going to be situations where uh, parents aren't going to be able to get along. Uh, they aren't going to be able to agree to how much time each gets with the kids. There's going to be bickering and fighting over it. There's going to be bickering and fighting over how much one party should be paying the other um, for their uh, care and keeping of the children. And I, I, I get that not all divorced couples are going to be able to work those issues out on a year-to-year, day-to-day basis together. Well, in that situation, I think then there ought to be a right to come in and demand a formal parenting plan. Then you could be required to go to mediation first and try to work it out. And if that doesn't work, you go to trial and, and uh, figure things out and you get what you get. But my problem with this whole situation is I don't believe uh, you ought to be forced to make a parenting plan if neither you or your former spouse wants it. I think that's an, that is paternalistic and, and you know, it's, it's kind of a nanny state mechanism to allow the courts uh, to intervene and manage the most private uh, relationships you have, the most intimate relationships you have uh, with members of your family. And so I, you know, I'm not saying that, that a parenting plan is never appropriate. I'm not saying that Child support is never appropriate. In many cases, it is. But what if we first just let people sort of try to work these things out on their own? And, you know, one person sends a, who, who earns the most sends a, a check every month uh, voluntarily. And, you know, they work it out when their schedules permit them to have the kids. And when their situations change a little bit, well, they sort of work something new out. And if that would work, without court supervision and without signing on the dotted line to, you know, where you feel like you're signing away a substantial amount of time with your children or a substantial amount of money. Uh, if it was allowed to be organic and informal, yes, I think that's a much more freedom friendly approach. 
And then if you have a, a former spouse that is recalcitrant and, uh, you know, wants to have the kids all the time and never let you have, have your turn and you guys can't get on the same page about how that's going to work, well, then, then let's talk about um, uh, you come in and file a simple form. Say, I want a parenting plan. This is my proposal about when the kids will be with me. And, and you go in and litigate it as you do now. The, the difference is that, number one, you'd get a bifurcated divorce right up front. You file for divorce. Maybe there's a 30-day waiting period or something. But when that period's over, you're divorced, whether the financial arrangements and custody arrangements are finalized or not. But you're not trapped in a marriage that you don't want to be in or that you know is, is uh, damaged beyond repair. Uh, and, and a waiting period can sometimes give people a chance to cool off if they sort of filed for divorce on impulse. And, and I can see the point of, of requiring that because, you know, I mean, there are times when people have gotten married and divorced several times in one year to the same person. And, uh, you know, that, that, um, that isn't in the interest of the state or of the individuals, but, but, uh, again, I think it's a much more freedom friendly approach. Grant that divorce early on, um, you know, after a, a waiting period, if the state wants it, and let the, the couple move on with dating other people, forming other families, whatever, and let them work arrangements out between themselves. And if there's a big power difference between the two, for whatever reason, uh, somebody says, I'm going to withhold money if you don't do what I want. I mean, I, you know, I think we've all seen that at some point. Um, somebody in the divorce has all the money and they start threatening to withhold it if the other person doesn't meet their demands, well, that can be pretty scary. But I do think those are the kind of situations that courts are for. And you ought to be able to go in and file papers uh, saying, I want a formal parenting plan, and then have the court uh, begin to consider the evidence about, you know, where the child should be, the the majority of the time, what the arrange, what arrangements would be in their best interest, and and uh, I guess my thought is, first trust the parents to come up with that, and don't make them, you know, come in to get permission from the judge. Uh, if we're going to be free people, we don't want to have every little aspect of our lives supervised by government officials, including judges. And, you know, you get divorced and the courts play a huge role in your life from then until uh, the time your kids leave home and, you know, and, and grow, are grown as adults themselves. So anyway, that's my my approach, uh, a more freedom-friendly divorce system. Bifurcated divorce up front, no requirement of a formal parenting plan, no requirement 
of uh, setting up child support payments, but if either party is unhappy with the financial arrangements that they can come up with together or uh, the, uh, the child uh, parent time, if, if they can't figure that out together, then either of them would have the right to come into court and demand a formal parenting plan be established. But I think that should only be for those people who can't figure it out between themselves on an informal basis. I think those were, you know, you know I mean, this, this proposal probably seems radical to people who are used to a lot of state control in their lives and, you know, that are really afraid of an ex-husband or wife and feel like, oh, I, I've got to have the court between me and them. But in, in my proposal, the court would be, would be available when it's needed, but it wouldn't be imposed upon every per couple that gets divorced. You know, these are what we're going to require of you um, to get divorced. You know, you're going to have to do X and Y and Z and, and uh, tell us exactly how much and when. I don't think that's any of the court's business unless the couple can't agree and, and you choose to make it the court's business. So anyway, I hope you think that over. Uh, like I said, my proposal is not constitutionally required, but I believe that uh, in a free society, we should want as many freedoms as we can have and only have government interfering when things break down, just like in a contract between two business entities, for example, one's buying, the other's selling, you know, you work out all kinds of details on who takes the risk of, of loss when the products are in transit, you know, things like that. And, and when do the courts actually get involved in managing a contract relationship between two businesses. Well, they do it when things break down between them. Maybe the purpose of the contract has been frustrated in some way. Uh, things have not turned out the way the parties had originally envisioned. And so then they go into court and, uh, and perhaps mediation before they go to trial to see if they can work it out uh, privately but the courts get involved when things break down. Uh, the courts aren't mandating, okay, if you make a contract between the two of you, you've got to come in and report to us once a month on how that's going or whatever. Um, it, the, the courts are brought in when the situation uh, has broken down. And so... I think the same analysis can be applied to, to divorces and to family law. Uh, you know, make individual arrangements, make them informal so people don't feel like they're signing away rights. Let them work together if they can without mandating that they go to mediation and settle every little thing uh, and people feel you know, like they're being cheated inevitably. Um, 
And then, you know, if things do break down and they they haven't been able to work things out sort of in an organic way or as issues come up, I, I would still make the the formal parenting plan available to anyone who feels they need it on the formal child support arrangements. I just wouldn't mandate it. I wouldn't require it. And I think that is an intrusion on freedom to, to require it, even if both people in the relationship don't want it. Um, so anyway, that's my two cents on the subject. I hope uh, that's given you something to think about. Uh, and I believe really uh, government is a necessary evil. It, it, we shouldn't allow it to impose on our lives more than necessary uh, to protect us from, uh, from others who would take advantage of us. And I, I think in this realm, you know, the courts certainly should be available to settle disputes within a, a divorced family that the parties themselves can't resolve informally. But uh, like I said, I wouldn't require a lot of bargaining for people to, uh, you know, for people to get divorced and, uh, you know, work out custody or, and financial arrangements regarding their, their kids and their, uh, and their property. So thank you for listening. Like I said, I hope you've, you've got some food for thought there. And uh, remember, if you love liberty, you're in the right place. Thank you, and we'll catch you next time.